<clears throat> uh, it's really good to see you all this morning. Um, if I preach poorly or I'm really confusing, um, it's because I haven't slept in a week and a half. Uh, so, um, Charles, can you show this slide? This is uh, baby Grace and her sister. It's so sweet. Um, we actually were able to catch that. She's actually biting her. I don't know if you know that, if you can see, uh, but it looks like she's kissing her. So, uh, No, they're, they're doing great. Um, we're having a lot of fun um, back at our house, and we've missed you guys over the past uh, week or so as we've been um, off the radar. Um, it's a weird thing. You can take that down. Nobody's going to listen to me. Charles, that's okay. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of a weird thing, me and Maritza, uh, you know, I've, had a ba- I've been a dad for like two years, but, um, and I've known that I'm a dad, like in my mind, but it wasn't until I've had a second kid that I really feel like a dad. Uh, like, you can't just be walking around with your wife who has the baby, it's like we were at the store and like each one of us has a baby, like she has the shopping cart and the baby and I'm over here like, you know, pushing uh, the baby in the cart, so... Uh, you definitely feel like a dad. Um, I even went out and bought a robe this week. So that's like the level of dad that I'm on uh, right now. So um, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I just wanted to to share that with you. Um, So um, I'm really excited to be preaching this sermon. it was kind of a, a neat thing. I was supposed to preach the sermon uh, that Terry gave last week on the golden calf, um, and, um, but then Grace came a little bit early, and so Terry graciously took that lesson from me and gave me this one. Uh, and I really feel like the Lord very providentially um, worked that out. Uh, he did that on purpose um, because I didn't know uh, the passage that I was going to be preaching on until uh, all that happened, and I went and looked at it. And this is actually... Um, a passage that the Lord has really used to transform uh, just my life and my relationship with Him just over the past year, and it's just been a very impactful thing for me. And so um, the fact that He worked it out to where I'd be able to speak on it this morning, I think, was just, uh, that was just the Lord. So um, no pressure uh, on me to give a good sermon, <laughs> but uh, I, I really hope that this will touch you in the same way that it has touched me. Um, so a little bit of uh, recap of what we've talked about over the past few weeks. You know, Terry, last week, um, Moses went up to the top of the mountain at Sinai, and God gave him the law there. He gave it to him on two stone tablets. But uh, little did he know, while he was up there, uh, the people were down um, in the camp, and they were worshiping this idol that they've made with their hands. He hasn't even come down with the law yet uh, for them to start obeying it, which they said that they were going to do everything the Lord commanded. Um, But already they have broken the biggest and most important rule of not worshiping any other gods. And so, uh, you know, Moses comes down, 3,000 people end up dying, and it's just God is like, all right, I'm going to start over. Moses, we're going to start over with you. I'm going to wipe all these people out, and uh, we'll just try again. And as we heard last week, uh, Moses pleaded with God, and God relents. But he goes down, and God puts a plague on the people after this happens. And so uh, after that happens, uh, the people come to Moses, uh, and they say, we need you to go talk to God for us again. Um, And so if you pick up in Exodus chapter 32, that's where we're at, uh, verse 30. This is what Moses said to the people after that. He said, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
And so Moses is going to go and talk to God uh, and see what he can do um, about fixing the relationship with God and his people. And so this whole sermon we're talking about today is going to be really what happened in that conversation with God and Moses on the top of that mountain. And I think this is a really special passage because in here we're going to get like this, this like zoomed in view of Moses' relationship with God. You're going to get a lot of dialogue back and forth. Uh, we've, we, we've heard like in the Bible it talks about how uh, Moses would meet with God in the tent and they would talk like one talks to a friend face to face. But you don't get much more information than that. But right here we're going to get to really zoom in on that conversation that they have together. Um, I think it's really important. So, uh, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into our text today. Holy Spirit, uh, I ask you to come and help us this morning. I ask for your help, uh, for me specifically. Um, help me to share with clarity and uh, conviction. And Jesus, I pray that you would come, and that you would let our hearts be fertile soil to receive your word. And I pray that we'd be transformed as you've really use this to transform me in my life. Um, we ask for your presence and we ask for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you'll go to uh, Exodus 33, this is what the Lord says to Moses when he goes up to uh, make atonement for their sins. 33 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Did you catch that? He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to wipe out the people like I said that I was going to do. You've convinced me not to do that. But you're going to go, but I am not going with you. Because uh, I think it's in uh, a couple verses after this, he reiterates. He says, um, for, if I, if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Whenever me and uh, Maritza had our first baby, you know, whenever you're at the hospital, like, and they're getting ready to discharge you and let you go, like, they give you the rundown of all the things that, like, people who've never had a baby need to know, uh, you know, just the basic standard stuff, like, you know, uh, don't put anything in the crib with them, like, don't let them sleep with you, like, all the things that you do anyway, um, and, like, here's what you do with their little nasty umbilical cord when it falls off, and, uh, but then there was one thing, and all this is, like, really good stuff, like, I'm, like, writing it down, I didn't really write it down, but it was all news to me, uh, it seemed like good stuff. But then one thing that they said really threw me off. They said, okay, if you get frustrated, don't shake the baby. And I thought that was a little odd. I'm like, why would anybody want to shake a baby? Uh, and so I just kind of threw that out and didn't really think about it. But three months later, when I was sleep deprived and by myself with a baby who hasn't stopped screaming for 90 minutes, that lady's voice came back into my head and said, don't shake the baby. <laughs> they said, don't shake the baby. What you need to do is you need to take the baby and just set it down in the crib, make sure they're safe and okay, still screaming, but just make sure they're okay, and walk away. Because you actually have this thing in you that wants you to shake the baby. I, maybe I'm the only person that uh, that, that advice is for, but 
I really did like have this urge to like, I'm going to shake this baby. Like, so I'm just going crazy. Uh, God is trying not to shake the baby here. Okay. He said, you know what? If I go with you for a moment, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> and I think if anybody in here has kids, you probably understand that sentiment. Um, and so that's kind of what's going on here. It's, it's, it's really an act of mercy. God's saying, I'm not going with you. But he's not doing that as this idea of a, as, as like an abandonment thing. Like, I don't like you anymore. I don't want you anymore. He's saying, you know, this is for your own good that I don't go with you. Okay. <clears throat> but I want to ask you this. Um, look at the Israelites' response in verse 4. The ESV says, <clears throat> When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They mourned when they heard this disastrous word, is how they say it. And I want to ask you, like, obviously they see this as a bad thing, that the Lord is not going with them. But really, how bad is it that the Lord was not going to go with them? How bad was that? Because if you go back and look, I don't know if you've noticed this, he says, depart, go from here. And he says in verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites. And he goes up and he says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go with you. I don't know if you noticed, but God is doing, he's still going to do everything that he said he was going to do for Israel. He was going to give them the land, and he was going to give them the prosperity that came with the land, like whenever he says the milk and honey, that's what that means, the prosperity that comes with having that land, and he's even going to send an angel with them. If you know anything about angels, they're not like the little fluffy wing babies with the harps, like there's this angel in, later on in the Bible who like, single-handedly kills 185,000 men, wipes out an entire army. And so he's saying, I'm going to give you my protection as well. I'm, I'm going to send with you somebody who's going to look after you, and you guys are going to get everything that I said I was going to give you. You're going to get everything that you wanted, but I'm not going to go. And I want to ask you today, be really, try to be honest with yourself, would you take that deal? Really, if God came to you and said, I will give you everything you ever wanted. I will answer every prayer you've ever had. I will bless you. I'm going to make you prosper. I'll heal all of your diseases. You can go to heaven. You can be in paradise. All this. But you just won't have me. Would you take that deal? I'm afraid... That although all of us know the answer, the right answer to that question, I'm afraid that some of us would be willing to take that deal. And I'm afraid that there are pews full of people all across the country this morning who are sitting at church who not only would take that deal, they might actually prefer it. It is easy to get wrapped up and come to church and try to seek out God for the things that he can do for us. Because he can do a lot for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give to you. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. And if you're not careful, you can be coming to church. You can be reading your Bible. You can be looking for God for what God can do for you. See, there's this idea, um, especially in the book of Exodus, about God's hand. 
And it talks about how um, over and over and over again, um, I think um, it's almost like 10 times, God says the same thing over and over in Exodus. He says, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, I will deliver you. And there's this idea of what God's hand is going to do for the Israelites. And this is what he's talking about. Like, one of those things is that he's going to take them, he he took them out of Egypt with his hand. And with his hand, he's going to take the Israelites into the land of promise and bless them and prosper them. But then you have this other idea that keeps coming up. In a second, we're going to read, Moses is going to ask God for his presence to go with him. God says, I will not go with you. And Moses says, we need your presence to go with us. And I think Terry mentioned this before in one of our earlier lessons, but that word presence in Hebrew literally means face. He says, we need your face to go with us. And the temptation for them and the temptation for us is that we want God's hand, but we don't really want his face. We want what God can do for us in our lives. We want his blessing. We want his deliverance. We want his help. But we don't really care so much for his face, for his presence. And if that is what we get, if we got everything we ever wanted from God, but we didn't have him, if we didn't have his face, we are losers. Because The point is, is what we're supposed to find throughout this whole story in the book of Exodus is that God is the blessing. God is the gift. His face, his hand is a means to an end. His hand, his blessing. The Bible says in the book of Romans that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. His blessing and everything that he does for us, all the good, all the things that he does for his people, it's all meant to draw him. His hand is meant to draw you to his face. To see him. And let me ask you this morning, do you you hunger for God's face? Do you want his presence? Do you want a relationship with him? And I'm not here to bash the blessings, okay? Don't hear me say that either. Um, Psalm 103, one of my favorite books, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He delivers, your soul, he delivers your life from the pit. He forgives you of all your iniquities and he heals you of all your diseases. It's not spiritual to say, oh, you know, I don't want to be healed, I just want God. That's not spiritual. It's not spiritual to say, I want his face, oh, but I don't want his hand. We're supposed to be people who hunger for his hand and his face. But the norm usually is we prefer to have his hand rather than his face. So Moses hears this, and um, the people aren't okay with it. Moses is not okay with it, much to their credit. Um, He goes on, if you'll go with me to um, chapter 33. Moses begins to uh, ask God again. He's going to plead with God. Before he pled with God that he would uh, not destroy the people, but now he's going to plead with God that he would go with the people. Uh, If you look at verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. 
And this is what God said. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses is almost like kind of like on a roll here. Like it, it's almost like he didn't even hear what God had just said. He keeps on asking. He says, um, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If you don't go, we are not going, is what Moses says. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from the other people on the face of the earth? Did you catch that? He said, how are they going to know the difference between us and everybody else if it's not your presence? This isn't like a major point of my talk today, but I think it needs to be said. Uh, a lot of times, like the church strategy today, uh, to grow your church and get a lot of people in, um, is to have a really good band. <laughs> Let me tell you, even our best Christian, I'm going to be really honest, even our best Christian bands are really not as good as <laughs> the world's bands, all right? Uh, another strategy is to have a really good coffee shop in your church. Okay, that's like another one of the things that you're supposed to have to grow your church. Um, and the coffee, I'm, I'm going to tell you, is not, it's not any better than anybody else's. Like the, the world, Starbucks is doing pretty good at coffee. The world doesn't need Jesus' coffee. Okay? A lot of times, like what the church strategy is now is like try to do what the world is doing like uh, as good as we can. Right? Try to, we're almost trying to like be good at what the world is good at. And the, in the Word, in the Bible, it, we're never called to try to like beat the world at the world's game. Let the world have their coffee and their rock bands. What we have is the presence of God. That's what you can't find at Starbucks. That's what you can't find at a concert, is the presence of God. And the church needs to be good at what the church was meant to be good at. The church, when somebody leaves our church, my prayer isn't that they would leave and say, oh, those were nice people, or, oh, man, look at my gift bag. I'm not, I'm not roasting on the gift bag. I like that we give people gift bags, but we can't, be all, we can't put all our hope in the gift bag. The people need to leave our church and say, God was there. That is what we need. We need some, that is what distinguishes us from everybody else, and Moses knew it, and he said, we need your face. We need your presence, because that is what distinguishes us from everybody else. Um, <clears throat> I think this would be a really good place to talk about um, um, a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. Um, when we're talking about God's presence, especially this comes up, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, I'm sure you have, um, we'll open up a service, or you go, really, people do this at in pretty much any church or any Christian thing that you go to, uh, we'll start off the Bible study, or we'll start out the church service, or we'll start out the Christian concert with something like, um, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come, or God, we invite your presence. Uh, God, come and show up. God, come and be among us. Um, and as much as you've heard that, you may have probably also heard the opposite, and somebody uh, making fun of that idea, and they say, well, God's everywhere, so he's already here. So, that's a silly thing to pray. Why would you pray for something that you already have? And in a sense, they're right about that, but only in a sense. <laughs> and uh, one of the, my favorite things that one of my professors said uh, back in Bible college was, wisdom is not just discerning between 
truth and lies. Wisdom is discerning truth from almost truth. And that is an almost truth. You see, uh, in Christian, Christianity, we have, uh, theologians have this uh, idea of God's presence uh, that's called omnipresence, where God is at all places at all times somehow. Uh, this is something that only God can do. Somehow he's everywhere at all times. And so in that sense, it is true when somebody says, you can say anywhere at all times, God is here. And that is somewhat true. That's why this psalmist says, you know, um, he says, you know, if I ascend to the heights, uh, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. God's even there in hell, apparently, in Sheol, in the realm of the dead. And so God is everywhere in a sense. If that is true, why, though, does Moses get really upset when God says, my presence will not go with you? How can God say, I'm not going with you? Because there is, there are different the concentration of God's presence varies in the world and at different times. So in a sense, I don't really know how it works, but God is more in some places than he is at others at different times. Are you tracking? And that's what Moses, and, and it's not just God is like more there. It's not just like he's more present. It's like a presence. What Moses is asking for is not just that God would be there. Like, God, I just would feel a whole lot better if you were like, if you were just somewhere nearby. He's asking for more than that. This kind of presence of God that Moses is asking for is not just that God would be, present, would be present, but it's a presence that does something. It's a presence that has an effect. It's a presence that brings protection. It's a presence that brings comfort. It's a presence that brings joy. This is what the psalmist says when he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. There's something different, something discernibly different about when God is present in the way that Moses is asking Now, the really cool thing about that is this presence that Moses is begging God for, this presence that he is pleading that he won't take away from them. Jesus has promised that to us always. What Moses was begging for on the top of Mount Sinai, you and I have because of Jesus. Jesus said before he died, he gave gave the Great Commission And he tagged on at the end, he said, and I will be with you always until the very end of the age. Which is amazing. It's like I said, this is what Moses, the man of God, arguably one of the people who's closest to God and ever before him, there's nobody been closer, like before him or after, he came up and he begged God for this. And you and me, we get it just because of what Jesus has done, because we have faith in Jesus. It's an amazing thing because, because of that, I can stand here and I can say, if you know Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, I can tell you that Jesus is with you right now in this special way. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at this morning, no matter how you talked to your wife before you came to church today, Jesus is still with you. God's presence is with you. And so, if God, if, like, if God is omnipresent, and if God like, also, his special presence is like with us in Christ, always, totally because of what Jesus has done, why, and then it seems especially silly to be asking God to come into a meeting of ours, or asking God to show up, or asking God to come and be with us, because he's already promised it. But here's why we do that. 
because of this very next phrase. If I can find it. Okay. Verse 18, Moses says, Please show me your glory. Show me your glory. See, Moses, of all people, has seen God's glory. More than anyone before him and more than most anyone after him, Moses has seen, already seen God's glory. Before, we, already, we skipped this passage a little bit um, in this chapter, but we talked about how Moses would meet in the tent with God face to face, not to mention the time that he's already spent up on the mountain where he first got the Ten Commandments, Mo, and he, the burning bush, we're not even talking about all that. Moses has already been closer to God and seen more of God's glory than anybody else, and yet Moses stops and he says, show me your glory. Moses has experienced God's presence. He's been in it. He's enjoyed it. But yet somehow, it almost seems, when I read it, uh, only some translations have please. Other translations just say, show me your glory. It almost seems like audacious for him to ask this. It almost seems greedy for him to ask. Like, he's asked God a couple of times now for his presence to go with him, and like, God says yes both times. It's almost like Moses is on a roll. He's like, well, he's saying yes. I'm just going to keep asking. And so he says, show me your glory. Moses is a man who's experienced God's glory, but it was not enough. He wanted a deeper experience of God's glory. He wanted a deeper revelation of God's glory. And so, look at what God says. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say that's greedy. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft on the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take, my face, take, my, I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so, God makes good on his word. Moses comes back up the mountain the next day, and God does this. He passes before him, and the result was, Moses falls down on his face and worships. But when he, and when he came down the mountain, something changed. He goes and he meets, the Bible says that he, he, would, he came down the mountain, and he would go and he would meet in the tent with God again, as he normally would, but after this, his face was glowing. I'm not going to read the passage because we've read it a lot and celebrate Jesus and small groups and stuff like that. But Moses, after this experience, his face glowed. And Moses, he had done this a lot of times before. He'd been meeting with God face to face in the tent already. But there was something that changed after this experience. This experience with God that he had had where he, where, he was, where he saw his glory in greater measure like this, it changed him in a completely different way to where his face radiated glory. And I want you to know, this is why, bringing it all back, bring, trying to bring it back here, this is why we say, God, come. This is why we invite the Holy Spirit when, in our meetings together. It's because we come 
grateful. We come grateful that Jesus has promised that he'll never leave us. We come grateful for his presence that we already experience and enjoy and we can have faith in even whenever we don't feel it. But we come and we say, God, I'm grateful, but I want more of you. I want your face. I want your presence. You see, a lot of times whenever we say, whenever people say, um, you know, oh, we don't, why, why would we ask for God's presence? Why would we, he's already here, all that stuff. I'm scared, I'm afraid to say that maybe we say that because we don't really value his presence. We don't really value his face. Someone who has experienced God's face, experienced his presence, will always want more of it. It leaves, God just does this thing whenever we meet with him, whenever we encounter him, it, it, it's this weird paradox of following Jesus where whenever we encounter him, he fills us and we're grateful but it only makes us all that much hungrier for him. And if, if we're in a place of this morning of, I'm good. Show me your glory. Eh, I'm okay if he doesn't. Then we need to check ourselves and get hungry again. Maybe you've had that experience already and you say, well, I'm good. I, no, it already happened to me. God already showed me his glory. One of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody, it says, we are leaky vessels. We need to be filled time and time again with the Lord's presence like this. Okay, um, I have negative two minutes to do the rest of what I had planned to say. But um, this is the really, really special part um, to me. Um, so if you can just track with me for another negative few minutes. Um, you see... We talked about God's hand going with Israel and how it wasn't enough and how they, wanted, they needed to want God's face as well. But what was really interesting is when Moses said, show me your glory, and he got his presence, he, he said, your hand's not enough, I want your face. Whenever he, whenever he said, I don't, I, want, I don't want you, I don't, 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 <laughs> told you, I haven't been sleeping much. <laughs> whenever he said, your hand is not enough, I want your face, what God ended up doing was he showed him his heart. This is something that has transformed my relationship with the Lord over the past, <clears throat> over the past few months. You see, um, if you go back to, I think it's verse 19, uh, when Moses says, show me your glory, God says, I will make my goodness pass before you, which is the part that we always remember about this story when God passes by. But he also says, and I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. It's this interesting thing. It's almost like the idea of like, I think of, like, the Brits, and, like, you got the queen comes in, and they're like, Her Majesty the Queen of da-da-da-da-da, and they say some things about them. I don't really know the things that they say, but it's almost like an announcement of royalty before he walks in the room, and the Lord is saying this about himself. The Lord is the one who announces it, and this, what we're about to read, this is the most quoted scripture in the Bible. It's re it the Bible references this Scripture, what God has to say about himself more than 20 times in the rest of the Bible. And note that this is what God is saying about himself to Moses. So this is extremely important. Like, this is like if God has, like, the one thing that he wants to tell you about himself, this is what he's saying, okay? And this is what he says in verse 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the fourth, to the third and fourth generation. This is what God wanted Moses to know about himself. And this is apparently what God wanted us to know about him because he keeps bringing it up over and over and over and over again in the Bible. This is what God wants you to know about him is that he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he overflows with love and faithfulness. He's merciful. He's generous. He's patient. I'll say it again, overflowing with love and loyalty. I'm going to read it one more time. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what God wants you to know about him. I found it so interesting that it's, it seems like just like a, a, an odd place for God to like say this, like right before he's about to uh, reveal his presence to Moses. Um, but then it hit me and then I realized it's not weird at all because God is about to show up in front of Moses. He's, he warned him. He said, this is what, if you saw my face, he said, you would melt. He said, you would die if you saw my face. No one can see my face and live. I love what Luke said, um, this is rare, but I loved what Luke said in the sermon uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, it sounded pretty harsh, but he said, if you aren't afraid of God, you're dumb. Is that, was it that harsh? Was that right? Oh, okay. But it, essentially, he said, if, you, if you're not afraid of God, you're dumb. Because the, which is essentially what the proverb is saying when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you do not fear God in any way, says you don't know anything yet because the beginning of wisdom starts there. And like he said, it doesn't, it doesn't stay there, right? Like we grow out of just fear and into love. But it starts there. And so like what I'm saying is the presence of God is a scary thing. And Moses was about to step into it. And it can be a fearful, scary thing. And God decided that what Moses needed to hear before he stepped into his fearful, holy presence was that God is not just holy and mighty and fearful, but he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but um, maybe, I don't think any of us are still, just probably just because we've never seen it happen, but I don't think any of us are really afraid of our faces melting off if we like encountered God, right? But we do have a different kind of fear whenever we're coming to approach God. I have this fear um, at times whenever I am not doing my best and I feel inadequate, and I feel unworthy, and I don't, I feel like there, like things that I've done and the ways that I've been are separating me from a holy God. I know somebody else has to feel this. <laughs> you go to pray, and you're like, I don't know if God wants me to pray right now. God might need a minute <laughs> from me. He might need to, I might need to step away so I'm not the shaken baby. Um, and, but this is the amazing thing. And this is so important why it comes right before God passes, before Moses comes into God's presence. 
before you enter God's presence, you have to know his heart. You have to know this, that he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. Man, that's a big one for me, his patience. You see, the, the reason that this was such a big deal for me, like I said, um, just struggling with inadequacy or am I doing enough for God or, you know, um, how did I do this thing again? Um, God surely cannot be pleased with me coming back into his presence. Um, the Lord had to remind me, and he used this, I, I came across this verse, and not here, but uh, one of the later reiterations in the Psalms, but um, he used it to remind me, this right here, this is God's heart. And this is God's heart totally independent of me. This is just who he is. Him, independent of anybody else, he is gracious and compassionate and patient. And you have to know that you're, if, if you have, are in a relationship with God, he started it. God is always the initiator of the relationship. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for his enemies. You didn't woo God and get him to like you with how good you were, okay? And this is where it was really big for me is I had to remember that in my worst moments, like, yes, Jesus came uh, and he, he initiated the relationship with his grace whenever I was a sinner and he saved me. And, but, you know, after that happens, like, I want to please him. And I go and I, I try to uh, be a better person and I try to tell people about him. I tried to pray, try to do all these things he told me to do. But at the times when those things just, I'm not doing great at it. I have to remember that all those things were not where it started with my relationship with God. If all that stuff is wiped out, which it shouldn't be, it should all be there. We should be building all this stuff into our relationship with God. But in the moments at your worst, whenever you don't have, when all that stuff is not there, at the foundation, you have God's grace and mercy and patience and love. That is where it started, and if everything else is stripped away, that is where you get back to. That is the foundation of our relationship with him, is his grace and his compassion. It never started with you. It never started with how well you were able to obey, how rightly you were able to respond to God's love. It started with him, and if you ever get to this place, as we often do, it ends with him as well. All of this is built on his grace and his compassion. I hope that this is helpful for you too, like, like it's been helpful for me. I would like for us to, um, Terry, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, we're just going to move straight into communion. Because um, really that's what communion um, to me is a reminder um, we enter by grace, we enter by his blood, we enter by uh, his broken body. This is the foundation for us. We come unworthy, but it was never our worthiness that got us here in the first place. We come today because the Lord, the Lord, is a God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and mercy.